History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen, Let's Roll, with Kathleen and Brian Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian are here to discuss current events from a biblical worldview and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. Hello, Biblical Citizens. Have you noticed some changes in our culture lately? I think there's more focus on race than maybe ever. I mean, whether it's the Super Bowl or Oprah interviewing Prince Harry and Meghan, that got a lot of attention, didn't it? But maybe even a sermon at your church. Today, we're going to look at the Black Lives Matters movement and the critical race theory that underlies it from the perspective of a African-American Christian leader, Kevin McGarry. We're really looking forward to talking with him. We've had a couple of previous episodes on this kind of this topic of critical race theory with Pastor Archie Robinson and Professor Rob Jenks. But today we have the president of EBLM, Every Black Life Matters, a ministry where he and his executive VP, Neil Mammon, speak in churches, speak like on the radio today, and utilize other venues to educate people about the ideology that's threatening our churches and even our free society. So a quick background, Kevin McGarry is an entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. He's worked for 35 years in information technology, and he's created and worked in a number of startup companies. I think it's appropriate, uh, Kevin, that you live in Silicon Valley. That kind of goes with the territory. And in addition to Every Black Life Matters, Kevin serves as chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California, and and you are an executive as well with the Douglass Leadership Institute. Welcome, Kevin. You there? Thank you for having me here, uh, Kathleen and Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And so, Kevin, we really enjoyed the presentation that you and Neil Mammon made, you know, your your executive vice president. You mm-hmm. you really uh, explained the relationship between this theory, critical race theory. You gave this presentation at Infusion Church here in Escondido, and you you explained how it comes out of Marxism, you know, the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter movement, although they don't say that, but that they are avowed Marxists, and this theory called intersectionality. And your, your organization, which is an alternative, every Black Life Matters, uh, is a different point of view, different, you know, it's biblical versus the Marxist organization. So uh, what exactly is the Black Lives Matter movement, and what do they, you know, why does it need an alternative that you're presenting? Yeah, yeah, great question. So, uh, first of all, the Black Lives Matter's uh, founders did say that they were revolutionary Marxists. They, they're trained Marxists. Uh, there are several, um, uh, you know, video clips of them actually asserting 
that they're trained Marxists. They proudly say that we're revolutionary Marxists and we do want to change, fundamentally change American society. So, um, a lot of people and, don't uh, get that, though, right? I mean, they think... You know, yeah, they most don't people ha- don't. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those videos have been shadow banned because, you know, you have all of your major platforms trying to protect BLM as an organization. And, and they've tried to clean up some of their, you know, earlier assertions, uh, including uh, now they've changed, they've taken a nuclear family. Their assault on the nuclear family took off. And so they, there's some other things that they've done. But, but to your question... Um, Black Lives Matter really started with, uh, you know, actually several years ago. Um, and, you know, I think since 2012, they've been around in some form since that time. Um, and they were fundamentally around uh, to basically deal with police brutality, what they deem as police brutality, mostly police, white police against uh, black citizens. And um, so that's that's really their lane that they're in. Uh, they 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 want to be sort of the arbiters of truth and justice as it relates to police brutality. Um, what we found is that over last summer, everybody was everybody I know was appalled and shocked and and uh, with what we saw with George Floyd. But um, a lot of people of faith, though they were shocked and appalled, uh, realized after they did a little research on BLM that they could not really uh, sign on with, you know, supporting such an organization since most all of their stances are antithetical uh, to, you know, our biblical foundation. So what they, so Neil and I, we felt, well, you know, people really do have a sentiment that, uh, you know, black lives should be protected, should be supported. um, And there's a lot of principled people of faith and that would love to uh, somehow, uh, you know, answer when people ask them, do black lives matter? So we came up with, um, every black life matters. And what this does, a couple things it does. First thing that it does is it, it puts the focus on black life, uh, mm-hmm. black lives matter. Nobody can, can agree with the sentiment that black lives matter generally until they specifically agree that every single black life matters. So what this does, it gives us the ability now to really hold BLM and their adherents uh, accountable to black life. If if indeed you say black lives matter, uh, guess what? That means you must agree that every single black life matters. And if you don't agree that every single black life matters, then basically what you're saying is that you're really uh, a political activist and you're not in it for justice or righteousness or or you know any of that. You just want to agitate for political reasons, and that's that's a whole different thing. Uh, if you do agree that every single black life matters, then great, you know, join us because we actually deal with every phase of black life. That would mean from the womb, uh, from the concept, from conception to the grave and, um, and every phase of black life, which would be early childhood development, uh, you know, school choice for, for having, for leveling the playing field with education, uh, to the nuclear, upholding the nuclear family, encouraging, uh, fatherhood initiatives, um, uh, economic development, uh, you know, uh, free markets and capitalism. I mean, these are things that are important. If we care about black life, these are the types of things that will really make a difference as far yeah. as the success or fail matrix or calculus, if you will, with, with black life. And so we, we stand for those things. And if people really want to help black life in general, then they should come alongside of us. Well, Kevin, that is, I think, a great overview. I want to drill down in a few 
a few of the key elements of Black Lives Matter, and then after the break, we're going to talk more specifically about the things that your organization is doing. With Black Lives Matter, the organization, let's start with something really basic. What about belief in God? Isn't that uh, questionable as far as some of the leaders and, and that organization? Well, yeah. So some of the leaders in the Black Lives Matter organization have, uh, not only are they avowed Marxist, revolutionary Marxist, by their own terms, and, as, and anybody who studied Marxism, you know that fundamental to that is a sort of atheistic or agnostic point of view. Uh, but the other thing is, is they have been, uh, you know, it's been recorded, and there is videotape of them saying, hey, yeah, we, we do this witchcraft and incantations on the on, on places where uh, p- people have been murdered, like George Floyd, and, you know, when they say say his name or say her name, like Breonna Taylor, and et cetera, uh, it really starts, uh, it's really, a, a, you know, sort of a, a witchcraft and a ritual that they're doing over these sites. So they are calling up, you know, sort of spirit cooking and, and you know, demonic manifestations, if you will, uh, over these uh, slain, um, you know, these, these slain people. Um, so these are things that any Bible-believing Christian should be shocked and appalled at. They should yeah. uh, wholly reject. And, uh, yeah, so this this is antithetical. They have not, uh, as I recall, actually come out and say, hey, yeah, we're fully atheistic. We do not believe there's a God. They haven't said that emphatically. They've tried to sort of toe the line and, and uh, you know, teeter on the edges when it comes to, you know, the God of the Bible. But... Uh, their actions speaks much, much louder than their words, and we could we can infer what what they really believe. Well, and out of that atheism and that <clears throat> that uh, antithesis of what is biblical, they want to destroy the nuclear family, and they call it the patriarchy, right? Or they call it this uh, oppressive system. So, talk about that a little bit, just. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, what they talk about is uh, the heteronormative, which basically is saying, look, when you have a father in the home, it's heteronormative. We need to destroy that. That's old uh, patriarchy. It's it's hegemony. It's playing to the hegemony in society and American culture. And, and we want to completely, this is what they're saying. They're saying they want to completely um, uh, undermine that. And overthrow that that thinking. They're they're saying that look, you know, we're perfectly fine with not having men around or having a father in the home, uh, and actually that's more ideal. Uh, oh, that's, that's what they. Post. And then they have these economic goals too. They want equity, which they differentiate. I mean, we would be in favor of equal opportunity, but they say that they want equity, which means equal outcomes. So. And they want to do this by instilling quotas based on race, gender, and class. Uh, doesn't this cause people to see every institution and every person through the lens of race instead of looking at the content of people's character and being colorblind, as the Bible teaches, and as Christian pastor Martin Luther King Jr. taught? Uh, That's exactly right. Is, what they're, you know, basically what they're positing is is that uh, everything should be viewed through the lens of race. Uh, all of our outcomes should be equal. This is this is you know a classic communist playbook, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the entire civil rights movement was built upon content of character and equal opportunity, not equal outcomes. Equal opportunity. Uh, we just wanted an opportunity to get to the table 
and have the uh, equal opportunity to participate in all of the uh, you know various accoutrements of a society. And now we're saying, no, 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 we don't even have to be competent. We don't have to, you know, actually want equal opportunity. We want equal outcomes. That means that's not even possible, is it? I mean, it's not possible to have equal outcomes. uh, Well, it's it's not possible, especially in a society that has, you know, free markets and capitalism and and, uh, and that. In their mind, it is possible. If they can change it to be a fully Marxist, fully communist society, because then government controls all the assets. The government controls means of production, and they will met out um, who gets what, and so everybody will be on the same uh, playing field. But but that's not even people, true either, because the the people doing the meeting out are way above the other people. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> oh, that's, that's typical. You know, we have so many aspects of Marxism having been tra- tried. I mean the people of the former Soviet Union, most of Africa, most of the third world rejected Marxism decades ago. Because it doesn't work. Terrible. And yet, well, we, we may not, we may be coming up to the break right now, but I want to just chat right after the break about why you think it has, it seems to have such appeal, not only to a number of blacks, but I think even more sometimes to a lot of whites seem to find this very, very appealing. So I'll leave that hanging out there and we'll be right back after the break. There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. We are talking with Kevin McGarry, president of the ministry, Every Black Life Matters. And we have discussed some of the terrible outcomes that we see as Christians that they are seeking as goals, the Black Lives Matter movement, Uh, the destruction of the family, government-imposed quotas based on race, gender, and sexual orientation, racially-based guilt for which there's no atonement, impossible economic goals. And so we want to know, Kevin, what you think is the appeal of these movements. Like, why does it appeal to... Uh, some African Americans. Why does it appeal to so many white people, college students, or large corporate, corporate? Big, big corporations? Yeah. What do you What do you think, Kevin? Yeah. So the appeal of the movement, or the appeal of Marxism in the, general? The appeal. Well, the appeal of critical the, let's, race theory. L- let's look at critical race theory, Black Lives Matter movement. It seems to have gotten tremendous Were support. They, so what What is the? They do you divide think the appeal? people into the oppressed and the oppressor. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so. So first of all, we have to realize that this is the old Marxist playbook. It's been around for almost 100 years now, uh, and it's being pushed at the highest level of our educational institutions. Most of uh, uh, this has come out of the um, Frankfurt School, which started at Columbia University here in the United States. And uh, so a lot of our sort of intellectual professor and elite types have been pushing uh, Marxist theories for a very, very, very long time. And so the the appeal fundamentally, though, if, if that's what you're looking at, is, is why are so many people sort of enamored with Marxism, uh, not only is it being pushed heavily by our professors and a lot of our teachers and institutions, but the other thing is, is it really uh, sort of uh, helps some people on, on, on one side to assuage their guilt 
about what happened in the past and, and other people on the other side, it helps them to sort of blanket themselves in a uh, sort of a victimization mode. So in other words, some people based on melodin will say, look, you know, I am where I am because you are who you are. You are the ones that oppressed me. You are the ones that completely victimized me and my people for the past uh, couple hundred, several hundred years. And therefore, I could never be where I really should be because you are where you are and who you are. And this is uh, this allows people then to not have to deal with any sort of you know personal responsibility. It allows them to basically you know you know stave off any you know any ideas that I am where I am because you know maybe I'm, I didn't you know apply myself in this area that and you know decisions I made were not necessarily right and blah blah blah. So it allows them to say, look, no, no, I am where I am because you are the one who has the power. You are the one who are the oppressors. You are the ones who have the money, and therefore you 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 use your power and your oppression, uh, your oppressive te- techniques against me and my communities. You make me where I am. The other folks say, I really feel bad about what what happened several hundred years ago, and um, we should really try to level the playing field. It's a you know typical guilt scenario, right? Um, the good news for all of these mindsets is we have uh, a gospel uh, that really helps free us from any guilt, sin, and shame. Or blame. Uh, or blame. Blaming and, someone else. And it is in the gospel. You know, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4. I mean, it's, you know, the gospel of Jesus is, is replete with uh, freeing us from, from these. So it'll free both sides. The uh, you know the the side that wants to be perpetually victim uh, you know carry a victim mentality so they don't have to take responsibility for their plight, and then the other side where uh, they feel guilted. So, but what we have to do as Christians is really fully embrace the Bible and the gospel and the cross, which has already done the work to set us free. A lot of us are allowing ourselves to be re-guilted. If that, if, you know, if you could imagine that, I mean, Jesus did all the work. He set us free, all of our guilt, shame, and and sins, and everything, blame, and we're literally allowing others to come back and re-guilt us. And what, what what are we supposed to do with that? You know, essentially, what we're saying is the that the cross is insufficient. Now, none of us would actually say that, but by our actions, if we allow others to you know, overlay this guilt of white privilege and supremacy and white nationalism and white evangelicalism, all these other, you know, sort of cliches that are being, you know, basically thrown at us at all these different angles. And if we allow this to stick, we're basically saying, Jesus, you're not enough. You're just not enough. I feel the guilt and the shame, and uh, I'm going to hold on to this because this is where the culture is taking us. And and I'm going to allow myself to be guilted into giving these people, you know, whatever the culture. Is, and there's you know, no atonement. I mean, well, yeah, it just very nullifies the atonement. I mean, that Jesus went to the cross for it. We're not even taking advantage of that or, you know, receiving it. Yeah, I so, think, you know, on your on your website, Kevin, I like you, you address specifically the word racism, which means so many different things to so many people. But this one sentence you put... Racism is truly a heart issue, a malady of the heart that cannot be addressed or solved 
through simplistic neocultural pseudo psychology. I think you've kind of already. Do you want to elaborate on that anymore? I think you've kind of been talking to that, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so here's the thing: when we say you know people are racist, um, that is sort of an amorphous term, right? I mean, it's purposely nebulous. We don't really know what that really means in today's context. Right. Um, But it's it's thrown all over the place. And uh, some people are saying that, look, just because of the lack of melanin, you're automatically racist and you're irredeemable and there's nothing to do about it. And that's the end of the story, period, Uh, you know, full stop. Um, What we have to realize is you know, racism is just like any other evil. So really racist. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about people who are, you know, going through life and they may say things that are insensitive to, you know, a group or a culture or an ethnicity as opposed to another. I'm talking about people that actually literally uh, want to malign and defile people based upon their skin color. Now that's, uh, and there are some people like that, but that's, you know, fortunately for us, we've come a long way. Uh, we still have work to do, uh, but, you know, there are only a few people that I think would actually fit that 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 sort of definition. Um, yet we, we run around with our hair on fire like everybody fits that definition. And it is a way to sort of cudgel, if you will, uh, the body of Christ and silence us and sort of mute us uh, and mute the gospel and mute the cross and, um, you know, this is the way the Marxists play their game, right? Um, I even heard that, uh, <laughs> this is so ironic, I even heard that, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom says, look, if you don't vote for me, uh, you know, in my recall election, if you don't vote for me, you're a racist. Now, here's the white guy who's been maligning the church, abusing public school systems, abusing all the citizens of California. He's got more than enough blood on his hands for all the things that he's done over the past you know, several years. And yet he's saying, if you don't vote for him, he's racist and he's a white guy. So I don't, I don't even know how to process that. I'm like, what? what I, I'm with you on that. So that is really what it's all about is using it as a bludgeon. And it's not, there's not based, it's not based on evidence or acts, you know, that people do. It's just using it against. So tell us, Kevin, how people, you know, Christians, how should we think about race? Uh, you know, I yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay, go well, ahead. Sorry. Well, I, well, I have an example, and I'll let you elaborate. But, but when we lived in Delaware, we had a pastor who was from Cuba, Cuban American. Uh, he was married to a Swedish gal from of Swedish descent. We had a lot of diversity in our church, but he wanted to really reach out to our African American church that we had. We were Presbyterian; they were Cal- uh, Calvary Baptist. So he. Would, and well, we also had Amish in our community, so he invited all you know different members of the church, whoever would want to come, to sing in the choir. So we'd have joint choirs with the Baptist church, with the Amish. We'd all join in singing praises to the Lord. We got to know each other. We had a lot of joy. It was wonderful, and 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 so that's one example I can think of of. How to, as Christians, we can just be in brotherhood with each other. Music, right? music can really bring people can, together. Can you think of? I mean, yes. So we're t- we're, lo- we're looking tell us for your how, examples. We're, are, we're, we're looking for how can white people like us do do a better job of kind of uh, helping things be better. <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent, excellent question. So here's here's what I would encourage. First of all, let's 
let's realize that race is purely a social construct. It is not a uh, physiological, biological, it's not purely, bi- it, it, it's a social construct. It, it, it really didn't exist as a distinction until recent history. Our Bible tells us that there's multiple cultures and ethnicities, uh, but there's nothing in the Bible that talks about race. So race is a, a social construct. Now, the good news is is that all the anti-racism folks agree. I mean, they, you know, Ibram X. Kendi talks about it in his book that race is a social construct. It's a real social construct in the sense that we're actually dealing with it as a distinction today, so we can't ignore it, but it is a social construct nevertheless. So, um, so let's just understand that that sort of, it, it sort of made made up to help sort of divide and distinguish between one ethnicity and another. It doesn't really mean anything beyond that. Um, and and how can we actually be uh, you know marching together, love one another, and do uh, and actually have goodwill between us? Uh, that can only come from the the gospel. Uh, we can try in our own feeble minds to get beyond this crisis. Uh, in our own natural sort of fleshly way. But this is a, a work of the Spirit of God that needs to do some deep work in each of us, right? Um, and, and so after we become, after we embrace the gospel, then we need to be reminded, and this comes through discipleship. So I'm a big proponent of discipleship. The church has done a horrible job at, at discipleship, but this is one of those moments, I think, in our history where we can actually get back to the basics of Matthew 28 and get to the business of discipleship. What I mean by discipleship is not gathering thousands of people in a sanctuary on a Wednesday night and having additional Bible study. That is not discipleship. Discipleship is actually sharing lives together. Uh, now, in the act of sharing lives together, we as brothers in the Lord can actually be intentional and look for people of other ethnicities to well, actually begin to share lives together. Well, that's wonderful. Um, that We'd like to keep on with that We're idea. We're going to have to have ex- Kevin on another expand time. Expand on that. Yeah. Uh, we're oh, kind of running okay. out of time, but... But remember, people, uh, this idea of discipleship, this idea that every black life matters, and it's Kev- and the the opposing biblical view of every black life matters versus the movement Black Life Matters. Thanks so-, so much for being on, Kevin. Go to everyblm.com. There's so much on there. Consider donating to this organization. And uh, thanks so much, Kevin. We have to have you on another time. I have uh, glad to do it. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thanks. I have one more announcement, folks, before you go. This coming Tuesday night at Mike's Barbecue in Escondido, Tuesday, March 23rd, we have a meeting of North County Conservatives, a live meeting featuring Alan Stevo. He's nationally, he's on national networks like Newsmax. He's talking about masks. Why? What's the downsides, and how we can legally get out of wearing them? Alan Stevo, come and join us. And by the way, Kathleen Melanakis is going to be there speaking on vaccines, so we could see you in person Tuesday night, Mike's Barbecue, six p.m. Bye bye.
Thanks for joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at this same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. To learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor, send an email to biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. That's biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen Let's Roll on K-Praise.